Hello, I'm Katie Piper, and welcome to my podcast, Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. Each episode, I'll meet an amazing person with an incredible story who faced adversity and came through the other side to inspire others. Today, I'm talking to Denise Fergus, a truly extraordinary woman. Many people will know Denise as the mother of James Bolger, who was tragically abducted and killed by two 10-year-old boys in 1993, just a month before his third birthday. Since his death, Denise has fought for justice for James, campaigned for his killers to be given longer sentences, and set up a charity in his memory. We talk about how she dealt with James's death, where she finds the strength to keep fighting, and how, although she can never forgive his killers, she has been able to move forwards. Thank you, Denise, for Thanks agreeing. for having me. It's great to have you all the way down from Liverpool. <laughs> it's nice to get away from Liverpool now. I love it there, but it is nice to have yeah. a day away, from, especially from work as well. Oh, uh, well, it's actually one of my favourite accents, the Scouse accent. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to get on like a house on fire. Then, <laughs> I hope so, I hope so. Um, so you said, you know, away from work, your life is um, very busy. Could you tell me a little bit about life at the moment for you? Yeah, I mean, we're doing a lot with the charity at the moment where we give free respite holidays to deserving families, you no know, kids. And Is that what the charity well. does then? That, yeah. what, is that the purpose? Of yeah, the... yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so we, we've just actually upgraded to a brand new lodge and it's absolutely stunning. And is that um, children that have been to hospital or they've been victims yeah, of yeah, crime? Yeah, or... um, we're open to a, a large audience of kids. Anyone who deserves the break, you know, they can have this break at the lodge mm-hmm. and the charity has been running for a long time it was launched in 2010 yeah. wasn't it so um and all this time um you've been campaigning yeah. when you set out to to do to do the charity was it to bring a sense of peace a sense of closure what was the well it was a little bit of everything uh, really because the amount of support that i've had over the years and i still get continue to get to this day i wanted to put something back and you know to to say thank you to everyone i decided to uh, opened the, the charity in James's name. You know, helping kids in the charity is just something that, you know, it's mm. it's a no-brainer. It's just something that I want us to do. There'll always be people in the world that need somebody to to be there when, mm. when unexpected, you know, tough times happen. And, you know, I think um, for people that kind of, as an outsider, just read a newspaper and they see um, injustice and, and legal trials and, and, and things happening to people, they do think that there comes a time where it's over and there's a line drawn under it. But actually, this has dominated most of your life, yeah. the, this fight. It's not yeah. a fight that really has an end, is it? I think it's going to be an ongoing fight, but I do remember going back years ago, um, my sister said... You know, if you're going to take this battle on, I hope you realise you're in for one long, hard battle. Mm. And I said, you know what, if if it's for James, then bring it on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've always been there to, to fight a battle in James's name and I'll always be here to fight a battle in James's name. As I say, you know, if there's a fight there to be fought, I'm going to do it. And the fight you've had in your hands um, has been an incredible one because you're fighting the people we're told are there to protect us, the mm. legal system the justice system, the courts, the parole board. And I suppose we're all sort of told in society, you know, we pay our taxes. These are the people that that, that do right by us. And actually, 
I suppose you found out that's not always true. Definitely not. I don't, I don't believe for one minute it's been true in the 25 years that I've been fighting. It's always been one-sided. With them too, they've always been given the best of everything. They didn't even go to a proper prison, yet they spent, I think it was eight years in a young offenders. That's not prison. Mm-hmm. That's been rewarded because they were given the best of everything. They got to pick the clothes that they wanted to wear. They got to pick the carpet that they wanted on the floor, the bed and the wallpapers. To me, that is, that's rewarded, not punished. And then from there, they, they got released. So there was no adult prison at all. So they did not serve any time whatsoever for that crime. I mean, the bedrooms that they slept in, and they probably had a comfortable night's sleep, whereas I was lying there away constantly, mm-hmm. you know, grieving a son that they took away from me. Mm. Um, and I, I knew that I'd never get that baby back. So I don't, I don't see why they should have lived comfortable lives the way they did. And like you said, I mean, until I started reading your book, I... I like many other people, I assumed they would have done some time in an adult prison. Mm. And like you said, they actually didn't ever experience real yeah. prison for that, that crime. Do you know what? I've never said, you know, lock them up mm. and throw away the key because I knew one day they would walk. They were 10 when they'd done it, but they knew, ex- they knew exactly what mm-hmm. they were doing. Mm. Um, they tried to abduct a little girl before they took James, mm-hmm. so they, they were out there to do that that day. So all I've ever wanted was for them to do time in an adult prison and I wouldn't have had to fight the way I thought. You know, mm-hmm. they would have done the time. They would have been free men now anyway. And I wouldn't have had to do, you know, live the life that I've, I've lived. You know, mm. I would have still been without James, but at least I would have got some justice. Mm-hmm. And taking on this role, this campaigner role, and on behalf of James, ne- you know, never giving up, how have you been able to keep something back for your own sanity? Because... It consumes you physically, mentally. It does. But, I mean, I've learned to be two people now. It was, and I did struggle in the beginning because, you know, it was just something that was getting thrown at me and I didn't know where I was, didn't know what day I was in or anything. But you learn to live with it and you learn to, you know, be a stronger person. For whatever was thrown at me, it's just made me stronger. Mm -hmm. Um, I've never been the one to lie down and just be walked all over and I never will. Mm -hmm. Um, So the government think for one minute that, you know, they're just not helping me, they are. They're helping me getting stronger. Mm-hmm. And that's the only really way I can put it. Because the authorities have almost fought against you, haven't they? They haven't uh, supported you, understood no. you, seen no. reason. I just think it was a case that they wanted to go away. They mm. didn't know how to wrangle it. They didn't know how to, you know, treat it. They didn't know what to do with them too. And because I've always... I always call myself a thorn in the government side because mm-hmm. I've always been there, I've never given up, and mm. so what? The thorns just getting bigger and bigger on the side because the the longer that and the more that they're throwing things away from me, the more I'm going to be there and the more I'm going to fight. Mm-hmm. As I say, he's my son and he was taken away from me by them too. So why should I just accept it? Mm-hmm. There's no way I was going to accept it. So just by that alone, it's just made me stronger. But in in that time um, where you've 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 persisted and you've stayed strong and you've not been you know sort of pushed and silenced, you have you know had to be a mother to your, your other sons, yeah. you know, a wife to your partner, and, and stay balanced. How mm. how do you find the strength in life when something's completely out of your control? How have you kept some kind of normal? As I say, I, th- I think I've become two people. Um, when there was a fight there that I was fighting, yeah, I was the, the mum of James. Um, but as soon as I got inside my house and shut the front door, I was mum to Michael Thomas and Leon and wife to Stuart. Um, I tried to not let them see my emotions, but when it did get too much for me, I'd take myself upstairs, mm-hmm. lock the bedroom door and stay in there till it calmed down. Um, it was just a, it was a weird situation that I was in and 
I'm sure you felt like this yourself. You some days you want to face people, some days you didn't. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm okay now. I can face people now. Yeah. Uh, but back then, I just, couldn't I just face didn't. It. I couldn't. I couldn't cope with it. Mm-hmm. It's just like my life had been taken away from me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I was grieving. I just had a new baby. Um, my marriage had broke down. My goodness, so all, just, all at the same just, time. Yeah. The last day of the trial, I was heavily pregnant with Michael. My good, and all those hormones that any woman pregnant would experience, you know, the highs and the lows of everything that's physically going on in your body, along with a massive trauma that you were going through. Yeah, but I mean, because when Michael come along, he just gave me every reason to live. Mm-hmm. When I was old, I thought, you know, I want to be and I want to be for him because there was times where I didn't want to be and I wanted to be with James. Of course, um, yeah. I felt so alone. Mm-hmm. All over, I come from a big family and they were all there for me. I still felt alone. It's so interesting you say that because when people talk about loneliness and isolation, it's not about having physical people around you. It's about feeling like the only person who's who's yeah, going just, through you, something. You put on a false front. You put on a front that people want to see. Mm. But deep down, it's, it's still late, it's raw, and it's, it's just eating away at you. And was that hard in that you're situation shocked the world not just the country and everybody knows who you are in your name in a time where you want privacy I mean you only were in the press to try and change and and campaign you weren't Mm. you weren't in the press to gain interest in your story it was to fight for what was right and you know as a byproduct becoming famous was that very difficult yeah because I mean it's something that I wasn't used to. I was just uh-huh. basically thrown in it. I didn't want the media attention. Of course. Yeah. Um, I could have done without it because, uh-huh. you know, picking up the paper most days and there it was, front, front page. I mean, it come to the, the point where the papers were getting kept away from me. Yeah, and and do you think that was good? Do you think that were, that was healthy at the time? Um, at the time of the trial, I'd say, yeah, but also, in my other mind, I wanted to know what was going on because... I'd rather have been kicked while I was down rather than, mm-hmm. you know, move forward from it and then start reading things that was I was told wasn't true, like the the there was James sexually abused and stuff like that, which I've recently found out was mm-hmm. true. Mm. I was told in the beginning that that wasn't. Right. So, you know, reading the papers even to this day, I'm still finding little bits out. Not as not much, but I'm still mm-hmm. finding bits out that I didn't know uh, back then. And to be quite honest with you as well, I've lived a life of, you know, what did really happen to always being there. Mm-hmm. Did he really get sexually abused? You know, all the reports that were put into the papers, did it happen, didn't mm-hmm. it happen? Because I didn't really know the full Extent, thing of it. Yeah. I, I just didn't know what to believe and what not to believe. So mm-hmm. I think I just kind of closed it to the back of my mind and tried not to think too much into it because I say, you know, I wanted to have a new husband and I had more kids and yeah. I had to concentrate on and I didn't want it to destroy me all over again. I was already destroyed enough. See, that sentence, that shows so much inner strength, doesn't it? You know, I didn't want that to destroy me. I had to concentrate on the yeah. present day. Do you think you were born this kind of person? Do you think what you went through turned you into that kind of person? I don't think I was born this type of per- this kind of person. Now, um, I think what... I've had to live with it's threw me into this type of person because, I, you know, I used to be quiet person and I found it hard to hold a conversation with people mm. that I didn't know. No, but when that happened to James, I was actually basically forced into doing it. Mm-hmm. So 
Yeah, I think it, because of what happened to James has turned me into the person that I am today. Mm-hmm. And the resilient and for for your children, I suppose, when they look at you, they, those qualities, I mean, is it something you've installed in them? Are your children quite resilient? And With the lads, I've, I haven't gone into anything with them. I didn't mm. want, want they, all they knew and all that I was going to tell them was James was taken, he, he was murdered, but I never kept them from newspapers and never, never kept them from the news on the TV or anything like that. Because mm-hmm. I thought, I don't want them to, you know, one day go, is that my brother? I wanted them to mm-hmm. grow up knowing, although James wasn't around, I wanted them to grow up knowing James. Mm-hmm. So that's exactly what we've done with them. Um, I never kept anything back from them. I told them what I knew. Mm-hmm. If they ever asked questions, which they, they really did, uh, they just knew that I was James's mum and they were James's brothers. Yeah. So... You know, um, even like Christmas time, even to this day, we still talk about James like he's still here. Mm-hmm. He's always a massive big part of our family. He's a child that will never be forgotten. Mm-hmm. Even though the lads never met him, they feel like they did. Mm-hmm. So I th- I'm kind of relieved that it's on that with them now because I didn't want them to not know James, yeah. even though they didn't meet him, if that makes sense. Um, as I say, I wanted them to know the brother that they could have loved. Mm. Uh, unfortunately... That was taken away from them. So, you know, it had to be down to me to tell Michael Thomas and Leon exactly what type of person James was, mm-hmm. what he used to do. It's simple little things like uh, one of them would say something, go, James used to say that, and I'd tell him the story about what James had said and mm-hmm. how it come about. And like our middle child, Thomas, he's so much like James. He, he is the image of him. Mm-hmm. Um, same character as cheeky little smile. Right. The, comments that he comes out now Thomas is 20 now and he still reminds me of James mm-hmm. uh, but he's not James and I've always told me myself that no matter mm-hmm. how many kids I have they are not James and I've got to treat them as their own individual selves Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. I'm a mom, I've got two girls, and I was trying to put myself in your position, thinking, how is, how is this woman not consumed with hate and, and bitterness? How do you just surrender? Because for all the campaigning you've done, there does come moments of it where you have to surrender. Not fully, but you have to surrender to some of the facts, and you have to carry on. And you couldn't be the mum you are today if you were full of hate and anger, could you? I don't think I'd ever surrender because, as I say, um, I call myself the voice for James. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as I said to you, if there's a fight there to be forced, of course I'm going to be all over it. 
Yeah, just because I'm not in the newspapers every day or not on TV every day doesn't mean to say that I've gone away. There's no, no way I'm going to go away. Yeah, I choose to do as little interviews as possible. And that's an interesting um, thought, isn't it? Being on telly every day isn't necessarily the definition of fighting a fight because no. actually you could end up damaging yourself more. You know, this is why I wrote the book, really, because people ask a lot of questions and, yeah, I've got no problem in answering them. But, you know, if you want to know my full life, then the book's there for them to go out and buy and read. Was it hard to write the book? Because people that... um when people write books, they'll often list it as like a proud moment or an achievement to write a book. But writing your book must have been so different and, in, and incredibly draining in, in places. I mean, did you dread writing it or was it cathartic? I was kind of in two minds with it because I didn't know what way I was going to end up. I didn't know what way it was going to take me. Um, but I had a brilliant ghostwriter and right. as soon as I, you know, mess out, we just hit it. And, yeah. you know, we become really good friends and I trusted her and you know I could I could say anything to her and she'd respect um, you and yeah. your control and yeah but I mean she'd done a lot of research for me anyway she didn't want to go back into the mm. court case and stuff mm-hmm. like that so she really done her own work on it and as we were doing the book I mean without me knowing I was kind of forgetting James's little character the way he was mm-hmm. things were missing out of my mind I was mm. only remembering little bits whereas I thought I'd stored them all mm-hmm. but as I come to write the book I realised that my memory was fading of them right so I'm so glad that I did do the book now because it, it brought it all back to me and I think we spent more time laughing and joking and, and just remembering James the way he was the little stories that I was telling Carly and you know, she's me going straight to you know the little things that he used to get up to so we just ends up sitting there laughing and reminiscing it, it, it made me it made me feel better because I thought to myself, I hadn't, if I hadn't done this book, I probably would have forgot a lot more. Mm-hmm. Mm. Although I'm telling the lads what he was like and yeah. you know, telling little stories, there was still a lot there that I was forgetting. But she's just such a nice person. She's so easy to talk to, and mm. you you just get lost in the moment. But then you, you just feel like you, you know, you can tell her anything. Mm. And it's interesting because when I was um, reading up about you, I thought, you know, when I wrote my book. As you do, you have to go on and promote the book so mm. that, that people buy it. And particularly with your message, it's so important that your message gets out there and it's so important that your book is read because actually if you want to read the most factual, truest version of how you and your family feel and what you went through, it's the book, not yeah. not the media. But how do you go about promoting a book like that? You know, was there a, a defining moment or a terrible interview where you've said enough's enough now? I can't keep promoting this and and yeah, um, because I'd done so many interviews about the bike, the book. It was back to back interviews. Um, the days were long. It's it's just I mean it, you find yourself answering. You must know this yourself, Casey. Uh-huh. You find yourself answering the same question over and over and over again. Uh-huh. But there was one question that I got asked, and I just I went and I just wanted the interview to end. Uh-huh. It, it was a, a silly question, but I don't I don't blame the person that asked the question. Because they got given the mm. you know, the, the questions anyway for me to answer it was does I find myself washing James's clothes after it and I went what and I was just like at that point I just it's just enough just lost yeah. it then yeah, yeah. so the, there's something in there of 
you know, you had this purpose, you had this campaign, but you got to the point where you needed to know your limitations and your boundaries. Did you did you struggle with saying no because you were so hell bent on you know one way you're you're fighting for something, but you do have your your life going yeah. on in the background. Well, at first I didn't like saying no, you know, because I thought, well, you know, they must be asking me to do it for a reason, and mm. you know, it'd be rude to say no. Yeah. But I mean, I come, I come to the. The conclusion where I thought, you know what, I don't care anymore. If I don't want to do it, I am not going to do it. And I, I didn't want to start pushing myself into, you know, doing every single interview that I got asked to do because if that happened, then I'd have no time for myself no. or the lads or Stuart. So I started saying now and I felt better for it because I thought, there's a new word that I've yeah. just taught myself. And it feels good. It, it feels does, empowering yeah. and you feel like, wow, I'm looking after me. Yeah, for the you change. Know. It wasn't so much me, it was more the lads because, you know, it wasn't fair on them because I was mm. here and everywhere. Plus it made me ill as well once we'd done all the interviews for the book. Um, I'm not blaming the interviews for no. it, but I, it was when that flu was going around just after Christmas it was. Yeah. The time I got it as well, I was in bed for two weeks with it yeah. and there was a court case coming up from Venables. Uh-huh. Um, he was up for child pornography again. So the offender again. re-offended again. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, I said to Stuart, I've got to get up and I've got to go to that court case. Mm. I'm not letting James down now, I've come too far. So I did to drag myself out of bed, <sighs> come to London, went to the court. But it's, How I did mean, you stand up physically? How I really you... don't know. <laughs> No. But again, we go back to that inner strength that you possess. You physically, on paper, shouldn't have been able to get there and stand up and get through that. But you did. I did. But, I mean, I got the strength from somewhere. I'm glad I've done it now because, I, as I say, I don't want to ever let James down over anything like that. I feel as his mother, it should be there. What was so, the outcome of that court case that you went to? He's still remand- He's still in prison. Mm. He's not due parole until 2020. Um, but I mean, I'm I'm feeling now when the time's up again, is it going to be another battle for me? Mm. You know, is he going to come out of prison? This is what I'm going to be thinking now. Is he going to come out of prison? And because he spent so much time in prison now, is he going to come out? Because he, he's liking where he is now, feels secure, he mm-hmm. feels safe. Mm. He's getting given the best of everything again. Is he going to come out and do something like James's case and mm-hmm. to go back in? And for I just life. don't know. Yeah. This this is what I'm thinking, and I'm thinking of another child's age mm-hmm. through their hands. Mm-hmm. You know, I've done all I can to keep kids safe, so it's going to be on the government side. Mm-hmm. And all these years that you've, you know, you've helped other families, you've helped other children, mm-hmm. you, you've remained high profile to, to keep fighting. Yeah. It can't be in vain. Well, no, because, I mean, I, I do fear if he's ever released because he's proven to, to everyone that he's still a danger to mm-hmm. kids. You know, to be caught not once but twice with child porn, mm-hmm. it, it's just... You know, it's just unacceptable. He shouldn't have been released so early from killing James anyway. Mm-hmm. He should have done a, a, a stretch in prison for that. Um, but because he's been caught twice now with child pornography, mm. he, he he should be locked up now for a long time mm-hmm. before, you know, you know, if not, you know, indefinitely because he's proven that he's, he's not to be trusted. Mm-hmm. He's still, I mean, this rehabilitation, all the money that was spent on rehabilitation, it's just hasn't worked. Do you think in um, cases like your own, justice and rehabilitation for something like this is actually completely different and there should well, be a separate system almost? Well, yeah, because especially for murderers, um, everyone says, well, not everyone, but, you know, they were 10, yeah, they were 10, but as I say, and I can't state it clearly enough, they know exactly what they were doing. They planned that mm-hmm. that day. Um 
the ability. I mean, the amount the amount of money that was spent on them two alone was mm-hmm. absolutely unbelievable. In the millions. Now, I, yeah, I I strongly believe that that money should have gone to hospitals mm-hmm. to help proper sick kids and mm-hmm. you know people that needed the treatments, not spent on them because it's been a total waste of money on Venables. Yeah. Now we don't know what Thompson's been up to as mm-hmm. he reoffends. That's something that we'll probably never know unless it's something serious as what Venables has been picked up for again. Because like you said at the start, he's obviously got choices, he's got protection, he's yeah. got anonymity, mm. uh, you know, unlike yourself, who who hasn't been left with that. Well, this is another thing. They, they know what I look like. They probably mm-hmm. know what my family looks like. Mm-hmm. They probably know where I live. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't know where they're living. I don't know. You know what name they're under. You know, I just I don't know their family, so they know everything about me. I don't mm. know nothing about them. It's hard to say. You know, well, what does justice look like? Because I do believe in situations like this, there isn't really any justice at all. Um, but if it was down to you, what would you know? If you were verging on some kind of justice, what would that look like for you? Uh, what would I like to see done now? Mm. I would like to see. Venable spending a long time behind bars now. In adult prison? Yeah. yeah. There's not, not much we can do with Thompson, but, you know, as you re-offend us, we, we don't know. You obviously have your own sense of peace and closure that you've had to create yourself. Mm. You haven't been able to get that from the authorities. You haven't mm. had any uh, restorative justice from the offenders. Mm. Have I mean, I know often... I don't know if people have ever said this to you in interviews, but when people interview anyone that's been affected by by crime or violence, they'll talk to them about forgiveness. Um, and I I believe in in cases like yours, it's not applicable to no, even no even discuss it. it. Yeah, no. absolutely not. So forgiveness isn't isn't suitable. It hasn't been asked for of you, but you have to do, you have to let go of something in your soul to to move forward. How do you do that? Well, you you just, you just tell yourself you've got to, otherwise it'll just destroy you. Mm. It'll, it'll just keep eating at you, and, and it'll just end up making you ill. Mm-hmm. So you've just got you've just really got to let it go. And if people would, because sometimes I suppose people think they're being helpful and kind. Um, if people like when you're out and about in the pub or in Tesco or wherever you are doing normal things, try and drag you into conversation of. You know, oh, I feel like this about it. Or this. Yeah. How did you end up with coping mechanisms where you would sh- politely shut them down? Because you can't spend all day every day being dragged into conversations about injustice and, and mm. other people's feelings or something. Yeah, I have had a lot of that. Yeah, I've been followed around shops and everything. But I mean, really, anyone who asks questions, I'll get shop, stopped in a shop. I just think to myself. The support, they still support me to the same. Without that support, I wouldn't have been able to carry on the fight that I fought. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got a lot of backup there, and that's the way I think. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just there to be nice, and that they, you know, they're not there to be nosy or anything like that. Mm-hmm. They're just concerns, and without their help, I don't think it's a carries on with mm. the fight that I've carried on. How have you managed uh, things like anxiety? Because if you look at your average mum bringing up children in today's society, I think all mums and dads live with, you know, anxiety. Yeah. Um, and you, more than anybody, would have had so many reasons for anxiety to go through the roof and be really crippling. I mean, from, from you know, we're talking like 10, 20 years ago to present day, mm. What what's your anxiety levels been like? Um, in the beginning, it was really bad because, you know, it was still fresh and you know, I, d- I just didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring me. But, I mean, as the years have gone on, you know, I, I take myself to a certain point where I stop myself from thinking. 
and then I can feel the the anxiety levels come on back down. It, there's only so far I will push myself now. How do you I stop think, yourself? Do you do like breathing you, exercises just, or? It's just, I, you just say, I just say to myself, I've got to stop thinking like this mm. because I've got kids downstairs. I've, and if I, it's like I start thinking and I go over the border of thinking, it's just going to eat up at me, it's going to destroy me. And I've got to go down to them lads and they're going to see this in me. So they're they become your it, purpose. Feel it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I just have a, a, a cuss off. Now, when I did read things in papers that I didn't know whether it was true or not about what happened to James. Mm. I, ref- I refuse to think any any more of it. Mm-hmm. I just think it's just in print. In my mind, it never happens, mm. and I'm just going to move away from it. In the in the fa- when it first happened, you know, it was all, you know, what did they do to him? And I think I thought, although as bad as it was, I think I thought a lot more mm. that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean, I, and, I totally understand what you mean because sometimes the unknown, yeah, your thoughts can go further and yeah. further, can't they? Yeah. But then I just thought to myself, this is just going to eat me up. So I've got to come to a cut-off point where I've got to stop thinking the way I am. Otherwise, mm. they will never just fuck James. They'll be taking me as well. Mm-hmm. So that's when I come with the stop. I'm not going to let them. They've already destroyed my life. I'm not going to let them destroy me. So in a way, I suppose you took a bit of control back by saying, yeah. actually, enough's enough. And I will be here being the mother to these children that I want to be, and and this is this is my cutoff point, and you won't have any of me. Mm, yeah, it's quite definite. Well, with, with them too as well, I don't give them much thought mm. because I'd sooner put my concentration into my life now, and the boys I've got now and Stuart, I'd sooner them have more thought than them too. So after the interviews done and just what interview I do. We walk away from it and then they never discuss. I will not talk about them mm-hmm. too because they're not a part of my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They took my will from me in my eyes. So I, I just don't want them to be in, in my mind. What kind of anxiety do you live with now on, on a level? Like, do you have just a, your average kind of anxieties that people live with or is it still quite heightened for you? No, to be quite honest with you, I'm living a very comfortable life now I mean I'm watching my boys grow up which I never got to see with James mm-hmm. um, I had a little girl before James I never got to see her grow up she was still born so right. you know I was still grieving her when I had James mm-hmm. um, but I'm watching my boys now and they're, they're not boys anymore they're young men and yeah. that's what I wanted to see them growing up and mm-hmm. that's exactly what I'm seeing as I say Thomas is playing football now it's something that I'll never get to see James doing mm-hmm. never got to see James have his first day at school I got to see my lads doing that mm-hmm. um, but James is always there and everything that they do I'm thinking you know well James could have done this and they took, took that away from him mm-hmm. um, Christmas presents on Christmas morning watching the boys opening the presents mm-hmm. there's always that one person that's missing mm-hmm. Christmas dinner there's a person missing at the table being their mother growing up, all of the boys, um, how did you pull back from stopping them going places, experiencing things, making friends and doing things? Because it sounds like you've given them a brilliant life and they've I've gone tried. on. I, I did stop them from, you know, when I say stop them, I didn't want them to play up in the street because mm-hmm. when two 10-year-olds can do something, you know, that bad, I didn't trust anyone. Mm-hmm. Understandably. Um, when I seen kids playing in the streets, I'd be like, that's true, look at the size of them lads and they're on the road. It, it just takes over. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, they weren't doing anything wrong, mm. but, I mean, it just it just takes over. You might, and you think, um, you know, well, they shouldn't be on their own. 
They should be with an adult. Yeah, of course. You. Well, I think any. I don't. I don't think you're alone in thinking that. I think the whole nation felt like that for a long time after. Yeah. After this case, did you get diagnosed with PTSD or anything like no, that? No. And did you ever I use just, psychologists or anything? No. Do you know what I thought of? I'm going to come through this. I'm going to have to do it on my own. Right. I thought of it's got to be on my terms and when I can do it. And was it a struggle bringing them up then, having to, you know, in, in one breath, you know, feel safe, and another breath not restrict their life experiences? I mean, was it was it a hard balancing act? Um, because I had Stuart, he was such a, well, he still is a doting dad. He just cared for the lads as much as I did. Well, do. It, when they wanted to play out, we, when we finally said, yeah, we, like, we've got a, a fair good bit of a driveway, so we closed the gates and they could play. And I used to sit by the, the you know, the, by the window watching them, mm. making sure they were safe. And if I needed to go and do something, I'd shout Stuart over and he'd mm. take over. We were like, home bodyguards watch <laughs> but yeah. I mean they couldn't go outside the gate or anything like that as they got a little bit older and they wanted to go the pictures with the friends mm. and stuff like, like that like kids do it's normal well, isn't yeah, it yeah and I yeah. thought you know what at first I was saying that mm-hmm. and I thought I'm taking their childhoods away from them by saying no oh, do you want to spend mm. time with the friends do you want to be with me all the time at first they used to play us off against one another they come to me and ask me if they could go and I'd say no mm. then they go to Stuart and, and would say, they understand? Because they knew, yeah, they, 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 they knew the past, yeah, they and knew, they knew, they knew. But would they, you know, kids are kids. Would they still push you and be, well, you know, no, I, I hate crafty. you, mum. <laughs> they were crafty because yeah. they asked me, and I'd say no. Then they'd go and ask the dad, and he'd say, yeah, yeah. if your mum's okay with it, yeah, cheers. Uh, well, it's right. okay then. So we come to the conclusion. Do you know what? I can't stop them from, you know, mm. being kids. So I'd say to Stuart, as long as you can drop them off and pick them back up, I'll be fine with it. Because we can never fully control the outside world and our children no. in it. But I suppose what you've shown is you can put things in place that give you a sort of sense of a, a, a gauge on some control of it. There's always a way around everything mm. if you put your mind to it. Mm. Um, if, you know, I still do have my me, me days where I feel down mm. when there's something in the press or something in the news. But I think, you know what, I've been through worse than this and I can, I can fight this one as well. So mm. for whatever's thrown at me, I just take it on, on the chin and deal with it I mean my kids are quite young I've got a nine-month-old baby and then I've got a four-year-old and um you know what happened to me I I, I was raped and and then I was had acid thrown in my face and it was through a guy that I'd been dating so I always think I don't want my kids to have a boyfriend I don't want them to go out in the world alone but I know I was quite a wild teenager and I know that when your mum or dad tries to say, I don't want you to do this, 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 for this reason. Often you can make a child rebel even yeah, more. Yeah, I agree with you there, totally. Uh, well, you know yourself, I mean, you've had, must have come a time where you felt that you didn't want to long, no longer be here, mm-hmm. but you fought that as well. So how did you cope with, did you have cut-off points of thinking? on? Yeah, I mean, I think, like, if I'd got burnt in, like, maybe a car crash maybe I would have given up more because mm. I just would have thought, oh, wrong place, wrong time, I had an accident. But because somebody premeditated yeah. an act of violence to me, it made something in me think, no, no way. Like, yeah, you can take away my appearance, you can take away my health, some of my functions, you can take away a few years of my life in hospital, but you're not taking everything that I yeah. am, you know? And I, and I think it's why I kind of became attracted to you and interested in reading your book because... 
you know, you you were pushed to the limit, the absolute limit as a mother. But what I see in you is somebody that has gone on to keep James's strength and spirit alive through what you're doing with the charity. It's kind of like in the face of evil, there's so much strength. Well, I think you've got to prove that they're not going. You're not going to be beaten by them. Mm. You know, for as long as you're you're standing yourself. They know that they'll always mm. have a face on their hands. The fear I live with at the moment, and when we talked about the anxiety, I had my anxiety under control, and now I'm going through the parole board, which obviously is a process you're so familiar with. Yeah. The anxiety has come back, and the fear of, I could bump into them. Yeah. I don't know what they look like anymore. I'm not allowed to know where they're going to live. I'm not allowed to know their so It's name. just so wrong because, again, they know what you, what you're, you look like, probably know where you live and everything like that, and you get to know nothing about them. And that is the scariest thing about it. So how do you cope with that? How can I cope with that? Well, it's just something that you've got to look out for. I mean, hopefully they won't put them anywhere near you. Thompson and Venables weren't really, well, they weren't meant to have entered Merseyside again, so I felt a little bit at ease with that. Mm. But, I mean... And did they? Or they as yeah, far one, as... one was going to Everton Games, which is not far from where I live. He was drinking in Liverpool, where I have a lot of nieces and nephews that drink in Liverpool. So that was really quite scary. Yeah. But, I mean, it's not you that should be looking over your shoulder mm. because you've done nothing wrong. Mm. Whereas in the beginning, I was. I was constantly looking over my shoulder, feeling that I'd walk past one of them mm-hmm. or both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's just something that's out of our control. But just don't keep looking over your shoulders as I was because, you know, if you walk past them, then... There's nothing you can do about it because you don't know mm. what they look like. So in a sense, you've managed to let go, I suppose, of not everything, but but some things, the things yeah. that may have held You'd you have back. To. You have to, otherwise you, you just be living in that, that first day and mm. you've got to move away from that first day. And through the charity, have you been able to... I know the charity's there kind of respite for, for young adults, for children, but have you been able to support parents yourself? And like how we're talking... You know, I'm learning so much from talking to you. Have you spent time with any other women or men that have had bereavement or loss and, yeah. and talked to them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, quite a few, actually. Mm. Uh, we have our black tie ball uh, every March. Mm-hmm. It marks what would have been James's birthday, so mm. we have as close to his birthday as we can. It's mm. it's nice to remember James mm. as the, the little as he was mm-hmm. and not James as he was taken. Mm. Uh, we invite some families that have stayed in the lodge Mm-hmm. Uh, to come along and just join us as guests and we get talking to them if we do get the time on that night we do speak to them and you know it's 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 not about passing stories it's about seeing them enjoying the night and you know just letting their hair down have a little mm-hmm. bit of freedom of from ev- away from everything yeah but we have helped a lot of families who are going through the same as what i've gone through or dif- you know different circumstances and that's what charity's there for if i can help as many families as possible, then I'm going to do it. So once again, like through through the charity and, and, and through what's happened to you, you're kind of bringing hope in in, a, in what some people may feel is a hopeless situation. You're bringing out the light in, in the dark almost, which is an amazing thing to be able to do, isn't it? Well, I always say at the end of a dark tunnel, you do see light. Mm. Um, it's, just, it's just something that you've, you've got to look for mm. and you will get it. Is that where you're at now, do you think, in your life? I, I am seeing the light now because, as I say, I'm living a comfortable life, even though I'm still fighting, but mm. I'm more spending more time now with Stuart and the boys 
and concentrate more on the charity and things that I like doing rather than concentrating on them too and what they're up to or what they're doing. And Are you stronger than ever? Are you your strongest? Yeah. yeah. I think I've still got a bit of strength left in me. Um, <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I feel like there's so much strength in you. Like no, nothing, nobody, and, and nothing will ever ever exhaust that. I, I might that have me down days, but I don't stay down for long. Is it a scouse thing? Do you think? I don't know. I don't know whether it's a scouse thing or a Denise thing. I just yeah. Don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you were probably the strongest woman that I've ever had the privilege to meet. Um, and I think it's wonderful that you have decided to share parts of you with the world through your charity and through your work and through your book because you could have quite easily decided to go off and be anonymous yourself. Mm. But you've once again put other people before yourself and I think that's what should be attached to your name as well as all of the other great memories that, that you are that person to loads of uh, mothers and children you'll never meet, you know. Well, I'm open to continue doing what I'm doing for a very long time. Mm. The charity's growing each each year, so but I want to take it to the highest I can get it. Absolutely. Well, I mean, what what an absolute credit you are to the charity and to your campaign and to your family. Um, thank you so much for coming and, and sharing your Thanks your life for with us. Me. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Casey Piper's Extraordinary People. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Next time, I'm talking to Hayley Doyle, an incredible woman. She was involved in a barn fire at the age of 14 and suffered severe burns as well as injuries from smoke inhalation. She tells me about dealing with the psychological after effects of the fire and coming through the other side to become the confident, optimistic person she is today. If you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word. Rate and review the show where you got this or share on socials.